0: Go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 11. And uh, Jesus, you know, there's nobody better to teach on prayer than probably Jesus himself. And, um, you know, and so the disciples here in Luke chapter 11, uh, this is the account where uh, Jesus, and, and it's the shorter of several accounts of the Lord's Prayer that's taught. Um, But I want to give you just some practical things, just because I don't want to assume that everybody just knows how to pray. And so, um, just quickly here at the beginning, and really it keeps in context with what I really want to get to here in a little while, because we're going to read uh, through some of this chapter this morning uh, together. But it says here in verse 1 of Luke 11, it says, Once Jesus was in a certain place praying. How many of you realize that Jesus prayed? If Jesus prayed, I think we probably need to pray. If Jesus needed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what God had called him to do, I think we're going to need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what God's called us to do as well. You know, and we see many times where Jesus would pull away and go away and pray. There's many times it says that he would get away and pray all night. You know, now I've never prayed all night. I've prayed at night, but never all night. And yet Jesus we would see that. Well, there was a strength, in there, but also not just a strength, but there was that connection to the Father, that, that understanding that, man, I need this connection. And here it says that uh, he was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. So they're saying, hey, Jesus, we understand that, that you pray and we should pray, but we don't know how to pray, and so we want you to teach us. Now, people have taken this um, and really made a form prayer out of it. But that's not where the power is. It's not just in saying the words. The power is in the principles of it. You know, and so this is kind of a condensed version. But in verse 2, Jesus says this. He says, this is how you should pray. So I'm going to give you a couple things here uh, that maybe hopefully will help you connect with what the heart of what Jesus is communicating here. He says, he starts off and he says, Father, may your name be kept holy. So first and foremost, when you go to pray, think about this. Who are you praying to? That's important. You're not just saying words. You're not just talking to yourself. You are actually talking to someone. The Bible says that he is our Father, our heavenly Father. And you know, and that's important. And so we and not just is he just our heavenly Father, but also remember he is the creator of the universe. That things that we think are difficult and challenging and impossible, Or nothing to him. I mean, he's omnipotent. He has all power, all ability. So when we come to him, we've got to know, number one, that he wants to hear from us. When we go to pray, God's not like, oh gosh, it's you again. No, he's a loving, good father. He wants us to fellowship with him. And so we've got to know that first and foremost, is that when we come to him, is that he is our heavenly father. The second thing he says, may your kingdom come soon. So my Father in heaven, you're holy, and may your kingdom become, may may it come and be set up here on earth. Here's the second thing. Remember what's of real value. Remember what, what, what is of real importance in life, even as you pray. Why? Because motive matters? It doesn't mean that God's not concerned about our challenges or the things that are going on in our life. It's, that's not what I'm saying at all. But we do have to remember what's most important. And our, even as we're praying, we ought to be praying about the things that matter to God as well, not just the things that matter to us. You know, so many times I think if we're not careful, our prayer life can just become simply this. It's just I need, I need, I need. And the truth is if you, would, if you can force yourself, help yourself, make your, whatever you got to do, If you can sometimes get your eyes off yourself and begin to pray for somebody else, it will unlock the power of God in your life. Like, just, you know, kind of give you a natural example. You may have a need financially in your life. There's nothing wrong with praying and asking God to work in that. But why not say, Lord, I just thank you that you're going to... You may know somebody else who has a financial need. Start praying for that person. Why? Because there's a principle in Scripture that whatever you make happen for somebody else, God will make happen for you. So begin to pray for them. Maybe you need healing in your body. Begin to pray and declare God's word over somebody else. doesn't mean that you don't stand and believe for yourself. But take it from a kingdom mindset. Be, be equally as concerned about others as we are about ourselves. You know, And, and so remember of what's of, of value, what's of importance. He goes on and he says, Give us, verse 3, give us each day the food that we need. Now, he's talking about natural food here, but how many of you also realize that we have to depend upon the presence of God in our life? Yeah. Not just so that I can, you know, I mean, you can wake up day to day and you can get up and you can go to work and you can eat lunch and eat dinner and have family time and all. That. But that doesn't mean that you're stepping into all that God has for you. Just because you're breathing and alive doesn't mean that you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit day to day. And yet here he is saying, and really this speaks to dependence. That God, I need you today in my life. Before I even move, before I even get going, God, I need your help today. I need you to help me and I need the, the help of the Holy Spirit to work in me. And so every day, even as we would pray, you know, prayer is, is really it's partly a dependence upon God. That we're acknowledging, God, I need you. Even the act of prayer is acknowledging that we need God to work. He goes on in verse 4 and he says, "Uh, Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now that's an important element too. Because even in our day-to-day life, dealing with people is challenging. We're all people and all people are challenging at some level, right? But when we remember how we've been treated by God, it will change the way we treat other people. Because I didn't get what I deserve. You've not gotten what you deserved. God has been gracious and kind with us and loving with us and that should enable us when we keep that as part of the focus of our life even as it says here forgive me but only if I forgive other people. And that's pretty (laughs) we don't want to talk about that one but the prayer is actually saying Lord as long as I don't hold a grudge against other people you ain't got to hold one against me. And it's really speaking to keeping our heart right. He goes on at the last part and he says, And don't uh, let us yield to temptation. Lord, keep me strong today. I know that the enemy's coming, but I don't have to fold. I don't have to give in to those temptations. I don't have to uh, give in to those same weaknesses that the Bible says that I can be changed in a moment by the presence of God. And so that speaks going back to having a dependence upon God. So, number, you know, I'll give you those again. There were five things. Number one, know who you're praying to. Number two, remember what's of real value and of importance. Number three is um, acknowledging a daily dependence upon God for everything. Now, that's part of the reason that we fast, by the way, just so you know. Because when you lay other things aside, you're going to realize how much you don't depend on God's presence. And look, I speak from personal experience. I'm not pointing the finger at you when I say that. I'm saying for all of us. We realize how much we just go through our days functioning in our own strength and our own ability. But when we begin to remove things out of our life, things begin to shift and our focus becomes much clearer. And we're to have a dependence upon God. The fourth thing is to remember how we've been treated by God so that we know how to treat others. We are to represent Him. The last one is to remember where your strength comes from. You're not fighting temptations and, and uh, sin in your life on your own. I mean, I believe this with all of my heart, that you can actually receive breakthrough during a time of fasting. That as you would seek the Lord, that there are things that you may have been bound with or dealt with for years and years and years, pesky sins that just keep sticking around, that God can break. Why? Because you gave Him place. You open up the door and the avenue and things that you've been trying and fighting and struggling and, you know, just annoyed by for a long time, just why do I keep doing these things? I believe that if you'll set this time aside to seek the Lord, that supernatural, those bondages will be broken in your life. Those things that have just been part of your identity will no longer be who you are. Why? Because you're seeking the Lord, because you're putting Him first place, and even as you're praying. And so, you know... uh, So even in this thought here, I'll tell you what, let me keep reading here in verse 5. It says, then teaching them some more about prayer. You know, Jesus always told stories, we call them parables, and they were to illustrate spiritual truths, right? (laughs) Jesus would tell a story because they probably didn't understand what he was meaning here by the (laughs) Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And he says he tells them a story. He says, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom and says, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed and I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for uh, friendship's sake, if you keep lock- knocking long enough... He will get up and give you whatever you need because of his because of your shameless persistence. You know, I have a dog who is special in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, but my dog is getting older. He's, you know, he's really older. And so when he was a puppy, I would just yell at him be like, shut up. You know, I'm in bed and I'm like tucked in and I'm like asleep or whatever. But now my dog's getting older, so you know what happens when dogs get older. He's like, hey, you can't hold it for 12 hours like you used to. Well, After the first two or three whimpers, I'm like, yeah, he's fine. He'll lay back down. But there comes a point where I just get annoyed by his noise. And so I'm going to get out of my place of comfort to go let him out, sit on the couch while he goes out to do his business to come back in. I didn't do it because I just love my dog. I didn't do it because of any other reason other than he just would not shut up. He annoyed me to the point of motivation, right? That's kind of what Jesus is illustrating here. He's saying, look, what he wouldn't do because you're just a good friend, he will do because of your persistence. Now, remember, Jesus is teaching about prayer. This isn't just a story. It says that Jesus continued to teach about prayer. He's illustrating a point here. In verse 9, it, it continues. And he says, and so I tell you. Now remember, this is, we're going from the Lord's Prayer to a parable, and now Jesus is back teaching again. So this is all in one conversation. Jesus has not broken stride in his, in the, in his conversation with them. He says, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Knock, or Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. It says, for everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. It continues here. And he says, you fathers... So you natural fathers, if your child asks for a fish, do you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, do you give him a scorpion? Of course not. So if you being sinful or evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, Jesus is still teaching about prayer here. There is something to be said for just having persistence. Not quitting, not giving up, not backing off. And it does, you know, and look, and there are things in my life that I've prayed for and it seems like instantly I get an answer. There have been some things in my life that I'm still praying for and still praying about. And it may have been years. And I don't have all the answers. But this is what I do know. If I don't seek, an answer's not coming. And if I give up, an answer's not coming. And so it requires faith to persist. It requires faith to continue. It requires faith to stay and not... Quit. And I mean basic. What is faith? It's believing God will do what he says he'll do. At its most basic level. It's simply saying I believe God will do exactly what he said in his word. But yet Jesus makes a statement here. And he says that we have to seek and we will find. So if you don't seek, you're not going to find. If you don't knock, the door will not be open. If my dog didn't whine, I wouldn't go get up in the middle of the night to go open the door for him. But because he's persistent, it motivates me. Now, we're not trying to motivate God at all. So please don't hear that. But there is something to be said when we seek God, when we are pursuing him. Now, not just in, because here's the thing about God. The Bible even says this over in Matthew 6. It says that all the things that the world is concerned about, their bills, their problems, their issues, all. He said, the Lord already knows what you have need of. So if you'll just seek what God wants to do in your life first. He will take care of all these other things. Now we know that verse that says, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these, you're like, well, how do I seek first the kingdom of God? Let me break it down at a very basic level for you. The kingdom of God starts in us. It starts with me. It starts with me being changed and renewed and shaped into the image of Christ. That is the kingdom of God. The Bible even says that we are now vessels of the presence of God. So for me to actually seek first the kingdom of God, it starts with me. It starts with my own heart. It starts with my own life. It starts with my relationship with God. Not making sure the church gets bigger. Not making sure more people get saved. Those are all important things and we ought to be concerned about those things, yes. But my first responsibility is to the Lord for me. Before I'm a husband, before I'm a pastor, before I'm a dad, I'm a son of God. And my first responsibility to the Lord is to seek him in my own heart and in my own life. And when I do that, what happens? All those other things that I was concerned about, God says, hey, I can handle those. And yes, I seek God through prayer. Worship is actually a form of prayer. So even as you worship God, it is really, it's it's just like praying. That's why sometimes when we have prayer, we will worship before. Why? Because it helps us focus. It helps get our heart on the right page so that we can now pray. Prayer is simply going to God and letting Him know what's on your heart. It's not difficult. It doesn't have to sound pretty. You can make it sound however you want. The good news is is that God sees the heart. Really, the heart behind the prayer matters more than what you say. But we do have to make a priority of prayer. We can't let it go by and just be like, because what happens is is that we become in charge of our life and we're trying to fix things and we're trying to do things and, and all these kinds of things, as opposed to stopping and focusing and remembering that we have a Father in heaven who is concerned about us. Now, some of you don't even believe it when I say that. God is truly involved, aware, and paying attention to your life. But there are some principles in Scripture that it talks about, and it says that we are to seek. Seek, and you will find. Not maybe, not possibly. Seek, you will find. Going after God is not like being lost in the woods. Seeking after what God has for you, God's purpose for you in your life, in your heart, is not like, I don't know which way to go. Although sometimes that's exactly how it feels. At least on our part. I'm just lost in the woods, walking in circles. I've been here before. I feel like the children of Israel. I've walked around this tree 40 times. I've seen, I've been here before. What's going on? Jesus himself says, if you will seek, you will find the very thing that you're believing for. But there's got to be some persistence and some commitment to the seek. It's not, well, I sought God on January 8th, and he didn't give me anything. I didn't get my answer. I guess this junk don't work. Well, I tried that. I don't take this time in January to seek the Lord so that I get an answer in January. If God says nothing to me, I'm perfectly fine with it. Why? Be, and look, and God always does. He's always, you know, I mean, it's never, I've never had that experience where it's like, well, God didn't do anything in me. No, but I can just tell you in my own life, what he does in me is way more important than what he does outside of me. The things that God stirs in my heart, the, the things that he prompts me in my spirit during this time is way more important than the things that I pray about. My concerns, my list, my prayer list. There's nothing wrong with those things. But we need to be more focused on what God is doing in us during this time. What God is speaking to our hearts about us, the real us, your spirit man. Not this flesh suit that we call us. You're not looking at the real me right now. You're looking at this flesh suit. The Bible calls it, or Paul called it, this earthly tent. But there will come a day, even if Jesus comes back, this Earth suit, the Bible says, will be transformed in a moment. Now, what will I look like in heaven? You'll probably still recognize me. But the real part of me is my spirit, man. Why? Because that's the eternal part of me. This is temporary. This is tied to this earth. That's why we have aches and pains sometimes. Why? Because we live on an earth. And this body is not built to last forever. It's a temporary holding place for our spirit, man, in this life. And yet, even during this time as we're seeking the Lord, it's important that we stay focused. I mean, I think you ought to have some things that you're believing God for during this time. But number one should be, Lord, draw me closer to you. Pull me closer. In my, let me Reveal yourself to me greater than I've ever known you. And if you'll take this time and if you'll focus and if you'll really uh, seek after God, you'll get the most valuable thing, which isn't the answer to your prayer. It's his presence. And you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. It will in 21 days. Because there's, there's nothing like the presence of God. That abiding presence is with us and in us, the Bible says. But sometimes we've got to remove the junk. You know, I, I like to watch this show, and uh, it's called Gold Rush. Some of you may know what it is. It's where these people go up in Alaska. You know, and the gold is down on the bedrock. Well, you know, they've got to, what they have to do is they have to go in there, and they have to remove what they call overburden. Well, you know, overburden's not like a little bit of dirt. There's this one particular group. They had to dig down 100 feet to get rid of the overburden, to get to the gold. Like before they could even try to find the gold in the dirt. There was, in other words, there was 100 feet of useless dirt on top of what they wanted. And you know what? It took them a lot of time. It took them a lot of effort. It took them a lot of energy. I mean, we're talking about months in really nasty weather for the most part. I mean, we think today's cold. This is kind of their normal. That's Alaska in the summer. You know, think about that. But yet they're willing to do a lot of work. Why? Because they're seeking after something natural. They're seeking something that just has monetary value. And they're willing to sacrifice for it. They're willing to do all kinds of things, be away from their families for it, do all of these things, but they have to uncover it. They have to work to get to what's valuable. Right? That's how it works. Some people go fishing all the time to catch one fish. Did you catch anything today? Nope. Did you go hunting today? Yeah, but I didn't see nothing. How many times have you been hunting now? And you ain't seen nothing. You mean you've hunted for two months and have not, have not bagged a deer yet. And yet I ask you for 21 days to seek the Lord and all of a sudden you hit the brakes. Hmm, I think there's a priority out of place here. You know, last Sunday, I said something about football. Like, not watching football, it's the playoffs. I'm aware. You've been watching football for four months. And so people think I'm nuts because I ask you to seek the Lord in a little bit extra way for 21 days, three weeks. Let me, let me say it like this. What other, uh, and I hate to use this word, but I don't know how else to say it. What other extracurricular activity do you have in your life that you give three weeks out of the year to? That's something like a hobby, something that you do. Hunting takes four or five months. Most people fish six to eight months out of the year. People watch football for five to six months out of the year depending on your sport depending on what you do it's months not weeks and yet we wonder why we can recite our team's record but yet we can't quote one scripture we wonder why our prayers are stagnant and the presence of god is seemingly weak in our hearts it's because it's being crowded out with overburden and yet what of real value we're going to have to dig down to get and that's not god's responsibility he didn't put it there it's our responsibility And we're going to have to seek the Lord. I mean, it's just 21 days. It's just three weeks. you got 49 weeks more out of the year. And I'm not saying that you should only seek the Lord. What I'm asking you to do is to do a little bit more than normal. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to set some time aside, to spend some extra time to pray and seek the Lord. Why? Because I believe this will set you up for success and for God to work in your life in this coming year. But you've got to recognize what's of value. I mean, I know for many of us guys, if somebody says, hey, you want to work some overtime? We're like, sign me up. Why? Because we know that paycheck's going to be bigger. Why are you even asking me? You already know the answer. We don't think anything about that. Why? Because we see the value on the backside. You've got to see the value during these 21 days. You've got to see what it's worth and what it can produce because it's way more than extra dollars on a paycheck. I believe that you can be supernaturally healed as you'll pray and fast. You know, there's a place in Seoul, South Korea. It's the largest church in the world. They have a place called Prayer Mountain. They got little cubbies. People go in there. For days sometimes. They'll go in there with death sentences. You've got. You know. A brain tumor. It's inoperable. Go home. Until you die. These people will. Go in there. And they'll have cancer. They'll have. You know. They're believing God. For maybe a child. Who's. um, You know. Completely away from the Lord. And they'll just go in there for days. Just praying. But it's amazing. The testimonies. That come out of that place. It's amazing what happens. Why? Because people got desperate. See, the problem is we've made God optional. We've just made him an addition to our life as opposed to being our life. And there's a big difference. He's not an option. He's not a, you know, he's not something that we add to the side. No, he is our life. He is the focus of our life. He is the purpose of our life. He is the sustaining force of our life. And when we'll focus and when we'll watch and we'll pay attention and not allow what God wants to do in our life be crowded out and choked out by what we're so concerned about. Because the most important part of you is your spirit, man. It is your heart. And that's where God works, is in our hearts first. Why? Because that's the only thing I'm taking with me to heaven. I saw somebody the other day, they put up a a picture. I don't remember who it was. It was on Facebook or something. And it had a picture of a big old house, and it said the rich man. And then it had like a, I don't remember what it was, some little shanty or something. And it said a poor man. Two pictures, right? And then below it, it was two graves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, rich and poor. They're both holes in the dirt. I mean, none of this stuff you get to take with you. And yet we will give our entire life seeking after stuff, things whatever it may be, comfort, convenience. And yet, what we can do as we pray, as we seek the Lord, is of eternal value. For all of eternity, we'll get to enjoy some of the things that we've actually really made a priority in this life. But see, here's the thing, it takes faith to pray. It takes faith to to, to pursue the Lord. It takes faith to be persistent for the things that you're praying and believing God for. Let me give you an example of this out of Matthew chapter 7. Right. It's not the right verse. Hold on one second. You might got a regular Bible, not a digital one. Love technology when it don't work. It's actually operator error because I typed in the wrong thing. See, I do know how to use one of these, by the way, just so y'all know. Now some of y'all be like, "I don't know." Hmm. No, that's not the one I want. I'm going to a totally different book, because I don't know. I, can, I wanted to read it out of Matthew's account, but I can't remember where it is. <laughs> Off the top of my head right now. It's over in Mark, though. Mark chapter 7. It's not going to be on the screen, but it's all right. And I have no idea what translation this is, so good luck. New King James, there you go. Mark chapter 7, verse 24 says that Jesus arose and he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted, to, uh, and wanted no one to know about it. But he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit had heard about him. says she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So we have a Gentile, we were talking about this earlier, a Gentile lady coming to Jesus and saying, my daughter is being afflicted by a demon. And she's asking him for help. I'm looking at the cliff notes here. Sorry. I'm going preacher on you. It's hard for me now. So it keeps going. Jesus said to her. Actually, in, the, in Matthew's translation, I want to read it out of Matthew. Is he said that, that she asked and Jesus paid her no attention. She's talking, and he's not even looking at her. He's not even concerned with her. And it says, finally, the disciples say something to Jesus like, Hey, can you... Remember my dog annoying me? The disciples are getting annoyed by this lady. They're like, Jesus, come on. Like, just tell her to go away. Please, do something. She's getting on her nerves. Jesus responds and says this to her. Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. That's kind of insulting. I don't know about you, but I don't want Jesus calling me a little dog. That's insulting to me. And yet it doesn't move this lady one, one bit. It says, and she answers and said to him, Yes, Lord, even the little dogs under the table get to eat the children's crumbs. She wasn't offended at all. She thought, I don't care, I'm here to get something. Say whatever you want, as long as I leave in my daughter's hole, I don't care what you say. But I'm not leaving, and you're not going to get rid of me until I get what I came here for. That's the. This lady's a little persistent, just a little bit. Jesus responds in verse 29 and says, "I tell." Or then he said to her, "For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter." It says, and when she got, or when she had come to her house, she found that the demon had gone, and the, and her daughter was lying in her bed. So we have this lady who comes to Jesus is seeking an answer of what she wants, Jesus could care less. Why? Because he wasn't called to the, Jew, to the Gentiles. Jesus was called to the Jews. He was called to reveal salvation to the Jewish people. Now, ultimately, us Gentiles were included in God's plan. But at that moment, Jesus was called to the Jews. She's a Gentile woman coming, and she says, Hey, would you do something for my daughter? And he says, Look, that belongs to the children of God, and that's not you. And she says, yes, I understand. But even a dog gets some crumbs. I'm not asking for everything. I just need this. In Matthew's account of this same deal, it says that Jesus said she had great faith. He looks at her and says, you've answered well. Like, hey, you're pretty, that's pretty clever. I think Jesus probably kind of smirked at her and thought, well, I thought you'd be offended and run off. See, she has a bit of sarcasm. And it got Jesus' attention. Why? Because he realized she she means business. She ain't going nowhere. See, she was acting in faith even though she knew she had no right to what Jesus could do for her. And what she really did was to really, really I, I guess you could say it this way, she spoke to his mercy. I know I don't deserve it. But I'm just asking for some mercy. And because of her response, she got exactly what she was asking for. She sought Jesus and she wouldn't quit. And she got the answer to the thing that she was looking for. She wouldn't be denied and she was persistent. She wouldn't quit. She wouldn't back off. You know, one of the uh, things that the Lord really, uh, one of the verses that he stirred up in my heart as I began to pray about this and and just kind of praying about the first of the year and some things. And it comes out of, and we're not going to turn there, but you can write it down. It's in John chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. Jesus makes, or not sorry, James wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and says that you have not because you ask not. One of my questions for you this morning is this, is what are you asking God for? What are you believing God for? What are you seeking the Lord for, not just to do for you, but what about in you? Do you need peace? Do you need joy? Do you need companionship? Do you need, um, you know, whatever it may be in your own heart? Do you need God to uh, bring about a breakthrough in your heart or in your mind? Do you need a breakthrough even in your physical body? What are you actively applying your faith towards and, and seeking after God, saying, God, I am trusting you because you're my only answer. And that you need God to work for you. What are you actively utilizing your faith towards? Not kind of passively, but I mean, like it's on the front. And let me say it this way: If you can't answer that question quickly, you don't have anything. If you have to hesitate and be like, "Well, what am I? What, what, what am I believing God for?" Mm, you, you're not believing God for anything. Not actively. You may passively be like, oh, well, I'm believing God for, you know, that my family is, is well off and we have health. And, but, yeah, but that's passive. That's like saying I'm a tither and I'm believing for God's blessings because I'm a tither. But are you asking God for increase? Passively, yes, I'm a tither. Blessings are going to come. But are you actively believing God for those blessings to come? Oh, I'll walk in health. I'll walk in healing. Passively, yes. But are you actively asking God to work in your body, in your family, in your life? Why? Because if you seek, you will find. Doesn't mean that, that there aren't some promises that we can hold on to. Yes, but we have to be active in what we're doing. Verse 3 of James chapter 4 there, it says that sometimes that we don't even receive simply because we ask with the wrong motive. Translations would say it like this, "Is because you ask amiss. Your motive's wrong. That's a heart thing. That's why it's important that we allow God to work with our hearts because if our heart's right when we ask, guess what? We will receive because the motive is right. That's why I encourage you to take this time and to seek the Lord because you might be asking God for prosperity or for blessing in your life, but God says, I can't bless you because your heart's not right because you will blow it on you. That's not why I bring provision. But if your heart gets right, God says, look, I'll bless you because I know you're going to do what's right with it. And even in that, you will be an even greater blessing and you will be more blessed as well. But God needs to know that you can say it this way is that God needs to know that we are trustworthy when he pours out his blessings. Cornelius was a trustworthy man, and God poured salvation into his house first. Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, that the Lord did not just pick Cornelius randomly. Let's just find some random Gentile and give him salvation. The Lord said, no, I want to see someone who seeks me. The Bible teaches us that um, we are to hunger and to thirst after righteousness. God's way of doing things. God's way of being. And it says that those who hunger and thirst will be filled. That's part of what we're doing right now. We're seeking the Lord during this time. Why? So that we can be filled with His presence. So I'll ask the question again. Are you actively believing God for something this year? And then the question has to be asked is, what are you pursuing God? Or what are you pursuing by faith and through prayer? It's got to be active. You got to actively be pursuing what God has for you. Not passively, actively. This speaks to what it says there in James chapter 4. Are you seeking after God's purposes in your life? Are you pursuing your own agenda? Now, I'll just make this statement because I think it helps. Because sometimes I think that, uh, and it sounds, I don't know, I'm just going to say it, who cares, right? You might be able to look from the outside at my life or me and Darren and say, well, y'all got all this figured out. No, I live every week relying on God to come through for me. And that's not preacher talk, that's reality. I have to seek God just like you do. I am no different. I'm a son and a child of God just like you are. And just because what you may perceive from the outside to be one way, let me tell you, it's not different for me than it is for you. I have to stand on my own faith, and I have to believe God just like you do. And just because your perception may be, oh well, you've got this and you have got that, you don't walk in my shoes. So what you perceive is your perception. That doesn't make it reality. Now I'm not now we'll say this, and those who are closer to me can tell I'm not fake. Who you see in the pulpit, this is me all the time. I refuse to be anything other than who I am. Ever. <laughs> I'm not gonna be anything for anybody. I'm just I mean, if we were at lunch. This is the way it is. I'm not any different. I try not to be any different. I just I don't want to be. But I have to do these things just like I'm encouraging you to do them. I have to actively believe God for my own personal life as well as for this church. And the thing is, is you ought to do the same thing. You ought to actively, actively be believing God for yourself and for this church. Why? Because this is your church. So it's not just on me as the pastor that, oh, well, you're the guy who prays. Well, I appreciate it, but I don't want that burden. (laughs) I have my part and I will carry my load. But we all have a part to play too. James chapter 1 verse 22 says this. He says, don't just listen to God's words. He says, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. See, we actually, when we say we're believing God for something, what does God's word say about that? Are we living in line with the wisdom of God? Are we taking God's word and actually applying it and actually walking it out? Even when everything in the natural says, this makes no sense. Because sometimes God's word makes no sense, but it's still right. So we still have to walk these things out. Faith is not something that we simply talk about. It's something that we do. There's a lot of people that I've experienced, and I'm not speaking about anybody here, but I've been around church for a long time, who said all the right things. The problem was they didn't do the right things. They talked the right way, or at least they sounded like it when they were at church. The problem was, I knew him outside of church. I'm like, you're not the. It's like James chapter three. How can blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth? I've literally been next to people in church praising, worshiping God, and then heard them cussing out in the parking lot. And I'm thinking, something right here. I got saved from all this foolishness. I got delivered. So even in the areas of our faith, it's got to be something that we do. There's got to be an active part of our life. You can say it like this, is that faith gets activated when you act. When you begin to act, faith becomes activated. So when we seek God first, specifically through prayer, through worship, through the word, there are blessings attached. God promised that if you would seek him, not only would you find him, but you'll find everything that he has. All of his goodness, all of his blessing will come when you seek him. That's what we were talking about earlier, Matthew 6. The whole chapter talks about why are you so concerned about your life? Don't you have a heavenly father who's good? And we read that earlier in, in Luke 11 there where it talked about that, hey, if, if you being a natural parent, a natural person, know how to do good things for other people, how much more will your heavenly Father, who is only good, how much more will He do good in your life? See, it's a trust, but that should cause us to seek. Hebrews eleven six 6, that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, persistently seek Him. God will reward. So here's, in kind of wrapping this up, and you're going to hear more of this in the coming weeks. Even when life is coming at you, because life comes. I mean, No one's exempt from that. Life hits me just like life hits you. How do I respond? How do you respond? What's kind of your default when things aren't going well? When maybe that breakthrough didn't come through when you thought. I mean, hey, there's things that I believe God for, and I'm like, man, I believe this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And then it don't happen the way I thought. I'm like, what happened? I can miss it just like anybody else. But this is what I've learned, is that God's timetable is not mine, but the principle doesn't change. When God says He'll reward, he, He will reward. When He says He will come through, He will come through. But it matters in my response. That initial response. So when things come, is your initial first response to complain and to moan or is it to pray? Is it to feel sorry for yourself? Or is it to look to the one who can solve the problem? Because you can't just talk about prayer, you've actually got to do prayer. Prayer is an acknowledging that God, I need you. God I need you to work I need you to move I'm appealing to a higher power if you want to call it that so God I'm not going to complain I'm not going to whine and I'm not going to feel sorry I'm not going to do all these kinds of things I'm coming to you because I believe that you hold the answers to life that's what the disciples said to Jesus he looked at him after a bunch of disciples had left him and he said are are you going to leave too and they said where else would we go because you alone hold the words to life this is my desire for us and you're going to hear this phrase more and more my desire is that we would be a people who pray first if you'd pray first you wouldn't have to worry as much why? because you'd pray first when something rises up or or, you know you you go visit a doctor and they give you a bad report not you know disagreeing with the doctors but I'm going to pray first before I worry I'm going to pray before I'm gonna take on concern, I'm gonna pray. Why? Because God can do miraculous things. He's a miracle-working God. He's a God of the impossible, He's a God of more than enough. He's an above and beyond God. But when I keep Him first and in, in priority of my life, and I say, Man, God, I, I need you to work in my life, and I'm not gonna be overwhelmed. I refuse to allow the enemy to cause me to worry. I'm gonna pray first. I'm gonna seek the face of God first. I'm going to ask God for wisdom first. And when we do that, I believe that not only will God begin to work and not only will it enable God to work quicker, but I believe we'll see God do things even greater. Because even in our moments, we seek first. We pray first. We ask Him for help first. The psalmist wrote and says, look, I'm going to look up to the mountains. That's where the temple was because that's where my help comes from. Not from people, not from anybody else Not from anything else My help comes from the Lord Because He is my Savior He's the one who works for me And so even as we're starting off this year Here in January And I don't care if you're a teenager or an adult I used to have my teenagers fast every January People thought I was nuts They're like, kids aren't going to do that I watched them do it every year And I got to watch them pray and receive from God wisdom for their life. So you might be a young person here and you're like, I ain't doing that. It's nuts. All right, ask the Lord. Why? Because I think you might need some direction in your life. At some point, you're going to graduate high school and you need to know what in the world the Lord wants you to do. Why not start asking now? Why not start seeking the Lord? Not just, should I go to college? Okay, should I? Yes or no? Okay, yes. Where? (laughs) Where do I need to go to college? Because that matters too. No? Okay, then what do I need to do? Because I can't sit at mom and dad's forever. I got any parents saying amen to that? What, Lord, what do you want me to do? I mean, God, why did you put me here? This is a great time for that. Seek the Lord and ask Him. And I believe it just as what it says there, if you'll seek, you're going to find. You're going to knock on those doors and God's going to open up and begin to work. And to do things in your life, I believe there's things in your life that can just it, the, the really the work of the enemy of your life. That when we fast, what happens is the anointing becomes even more powerful in our hearts. That's really the core of it. The power and the presence of God becomes even more more powerful in our own heart. Why? Because we've subdued our flesh. We've taken control. We said, "Flesh, you're not going to tell me what to do anymore." desires, longings, those... No, you're not going to control me, devil. You're not going to keep me like a puppet on a string. I'm cutting the strings. And the power of God all of a sudden comes in you. And you're able to rise above things that you've been battling with for years and years and years. And all of a sudden, it's just like, man, you just... Pff, it's like a shot of adrenaline into your spirit, man. And the power of God's present. And so much can happen in such a short period of time. It's amazing how fast God can change the situation amazing but that happens when we put him first when we seek him first and we'll simply